0: also my privilege to read the scripture that matt will be preaching from this morning so this is from the book of the revelation this is chapters 10 and 11. then i saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire he had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe had passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mick.
1: Thanks, Mick. It's all totally clear, right? We're good. No need for rhetoric today. Jesus was more than happy in giving this vision to John to zoom in and out. We're given the king's perspective both on the world as it is and especially the world after Jesus has come and and taught and died and risen from the dead and before he returns to make all things new. Jewish apocalyptic literature exists to tell us about today in light of the future. This is also a book of prophecy. Eugene Peterson defines prophecy as the immediate application of God's truth in current and personal story. And one of the disorienting things about the Revelation is it'll zoom in and out. It does not have an interest in a sequence of time. In terms of the book, things happen multiple times. I believe chapters 10 and 11 are happening in between the breaking of the sixth and seventh seal from chapter six, in between the blowing of the sixth and seventh trumpets from chapters eight and nine, and now 10 and 11. So John is given another scroll. Perhaps you remember from chapters four and five, or you remember singing about it, which we did multiple times today. Thank you for those of you who led us in that. That the Lamb is given a scroll. John is given another scroll, a little scroll, apparently an edible scroll. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know this isn't the first time that someone has been asked to eat a scroll. And perhaps you picked up on something, that the scroll is a little bit like the good news of Jesus, so sweet as we realize that we're loved by God. And yet there's bitterness with the truth that not all are his, It's so sweet to know that God cared so much that he sent his son to rescue and redeem us and it is so bitter to be able to call what is evil, evil, isn't it? If we could rationalize evil, perhaps it would be less grievous than the truth, which is the world is not as it should be. One of the problems with turning the book of Revelation into a code book is we miss, among other things, our agency in the world, our role as followers of Christ. When we separate from our questions about when and what will it look like from our perspective, what we see is that from his perspective, we are drawn into such a profound role as his followers. From the king's perspective, your lives are lives of light and justice, speaking God's law and mercy, his truth and his grace to your own hearts and to the neighborhoods he's put you in and the places he has put you. The gospel is grace and truth. The gospel is faith in Christ and action. The gospel is love that is neither enabling nor without truth. It is full of both affection and mercy. The gospel calls us to great hope, but it is also clear that sin and evil will be judged. The gospel is full of both law and mercy. The scroll that John eats is the gospel, and it is for him like it is for us, so sweet to know that we are loved and reconciled to Christ because of his work, reconciled to God because of the work of Christ, and yet we think of those that do not know Jesus and are grieved. We see the destruction of the world and men and women harming one another, and it is bitter to our stomachs. John is given another scroll, and he's told to stop writing. I don't know how many of you had to read The Wasteland in college, or got, I should say got to read The Wasteland in college, perhaps the most famous poem of the 20th century, and this is one of the sections of it. I wonder if it was it percolating in your mind, like, where did I hear that before, What the Thunder Said? It's one of the headings, the fourth, I believe, heading of The Wasteland. Is that right? It's the fourth heading, fifth heading. A couple of poets in the room, nervous. And what I love about mentioning that is um, it's important for us to notice what we don't know. The whole chapter of the Revelation, not a whole chapter, part of the chapter of the Revelation designed to remind us we're not going to know everything. Some of you have been around the block and you're relatively mature in this life and you have begun to rest in the fact that there are a lot of things we're not going to know. One of the reasons The Wasteland is such a profound poem is uh, T.S. Eliot's contemporary of the time, Ezra Pound, literally took the manuscript of the poem and a pair of scissors. Did you learn this in school and you've forgotten and now I'm reminding you? And you're like, why am I in English class today? He literally cut out whole sections of the poem, which created an almost apocalypticness, an apocalyptic element to the poem. But the reason it works is we know that we don't know everything. And so when everything is explained, especially in a poem, or in an image, or a vision. It's actually less profound. So John heard something, and he saw something, and the angel told him not to write it down. We simply will not know everything. We simply will not know what it will look like from our perspective when these things happen. Remember, the the revelation is the king's perspective both on our life now and our life now in light of the future, And many things that have already come to place have already happened. Say it that way. And many things that have not yet happened. And chapter 10 is a gentle but firm reminder. We will not know what the thunder said. Throughout the Bible, we are invited into this kind of tension. Throughout scriptures, we're given incredible detail about some things. And then not very much detail about other things. And many of us if we could talk with those writers, would say, would you say a little more about this thing? And you know what? I didn't need as many genealogies. It's fine. Although the genealogies are actually delightful if we realize what they're there for. I think what John heard and saw was something about the collision of God's mercy and his judgment. But what's most important for us to notice is the angel said, don't write it down. As a reminder, we will not... The, the, the revelation does not invite us to understand as much as it invites us to experience the vision that God gave to John to then circulate to these seven churches and then to us. John is given another scroll and told to stop writing so we don't know what the thunder said and that's okay. As the witnesses prophesy and you're excited about the witnesses because we can picture most of chapter 11 can't we? In an age of television, we can picture them lying there dead for three and a half days. And some are celebrating. And it's horrific. And yet the cameras continue on day two and three. And then halfway through day three, they come back to life. And yet, chapter 11 doesn't invite us to picture these things as specifically in our world. That's why it says symbolically. That's why when it says symbolically, where it happens, it says Sodom. We're like, where's Sodom again? Oh, right, it was destroyed. Oh, it happened in Egypt. Egypt isn't a city. It's a country. The place where the Lord died. When, and this is, this is an odd thing about Revelation, but you guys know this. You've been here for a couple weeks. You know it's both apocalyptic and prophetic and a circular letter. When Jesus wants to be very clear and precise about something. What does he give us? An image. When he has no interest in precision because the point is broader than that, he gives us a barrage of information. In chapters 4 and 5, there is a figure called the Lion of Judah, and then John turns and he sees a lamb. And we know exactly who that lamb is. But here with this city... It's Sodom, representing humans harming one another for their vices. It's Egypt, representing the tyranny of economic oppression and how that harms people, especially in collaboration with the beast. And it is Jerusalem, the place where men and women were blind in some measure to the gospel and the grace of Jesus. John uninvited us to believe that these two witnesses are two individuals in a specific point in time. He does so twice. Did you catch it? He calls them olive trees and lampposts, which is hearkening back to Zechariah and other parts of the book. Why are there two of them? We'll talk a little more about their symbolic, I don't know if symbol's the right word. Let's say this. Chapter 11 is a parable for us. Of what the church looks like in the world In between Jesus' incarnation And his parousia, his second coming Why are there two of them? Well, because in court, two witnesses, better than one Right? Or my lord, right? Of course, right? I'm not, I wasn't trained What's that? Oh, wow. Well, these are pretty reliable witnesses, but yes the other reason I think is, there are about five by the way, the other reason is um, as Jesus speaks lovingly and profoundly to his churches at the beginning of Revelation, it's clear that when they no longer represent the gospel of Jesus clearly, their lampstand, which is what he here calls the witnesses, will be taken away. Not all churches will last from the beginning of time to the end. Even if they continue to exist in a building, from the king's perspective, they are no longer churches if they do not represent the prophetic and, the, and the, the, the prophetic word of Christ, the little scroll of the gospel of Christ, the law of Christ. And you wonder why I keep saying prophet and law. It's because do these, these the power of these prophets remind you of anyone? They're designed to. As John was watching this vision, they reminded him of Moses With his staff touching the water. Elijah pouring fire, although when Elijah poured fire, it came from where? Heaven. So he didn't actually do it. He prayed that these false prophets would be taken away, and fire came down from heaven. So why does this prophet's fire come out of its mouth? Because this is a parable about the church. When John saw these two figures, they reminded him of the two figures that were with Jesus in the Transfiguration. Remember that scene? Jesus starts shining incredibly brightly. Peter freaks out and says, let's get some more tents. They talk for a while and then they leave. It was Elijah and Moses. These two witnesses are shown to us so that we will understand the parable. Look at chapter 11, verse 4. John calls them olive trees and lampstand. lampstands this happens throughout the book of revelation we hear one thing we see one thing and we're we're supposed to let the images wash over us and understand what god is teaching us in heaven the sealed sound like an army and when we look it's a vast multitude we hear the lion of judah in power and we turn and john sees the lamb we see these two witnesses And we are told that they are the church. Why is some part of the temple allowed to be trampled? Because in between the time of Jesus' incarnation and his parousia, it will not always go well for those who are sealed. Right? Why were they allowed to, to lie there for three and a half days? Three and a half is half of the number seven which throughout the book is a sign of completion. We're about to see the trumpets finish being blown. This is the church speaking grace and truth to the world. This is why some people interpret the book of Revelation and especially chapter 20 as have already happened. Not the whole book, but parts of it have already happened and they would say the millennium has already happened in a sense and those of you that are familiar with the book you're like, I'm not even positive what that means and some of the best theologians I've ever seen really won't even take a stand on it because it's not the point of the book. If the witnesses are not two individuals but a parable about the church which I believe is what John is saying when he invites us to that reading of it by calling them lampstands and olive trees, then we don't know when the church died. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe it's already been brought back to life. And the reason this is so important for us to understand is if you read chapter 6 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 and even sections of chapter 11 where these horrific things happen in the world and the things happen, among other reasons... That women and men might repent and they don't. Do you notice in chapter 11 that some do? Earthquakes, hail, locusts do not bring men and women to repentance. But when we sacrificially love neighbor and learn how to speak the words of the love of Christ to our friends. The power is immense. And according to the book of Revelation, it is far more powerful when the church acts like the church than when there is a natural disaster or three. Jesus is given another scroll and told to stop, John is given another scroll and told to stop writing as the witnesses prophesy and the nations strike them down. According to chapter 11, it's the beast that strikes them down, and yet the nations are participating with that. And, but did you notice that it's some? Some of the people are cheering that the, that the witnesses have died. This is a parable describing the church. Everywhere that the church of Jesus Christ exists... Amidst those who are blind to the message, Jerusalem. Amidst abusive vice and sin, Sodom. Amidst the tyranny of economic and political forces that team up with the beast and with sin and harm. The church steps in, oftentimes sacrificially, literally sacrificially. Other times, speaking truth to power. Mercy to power. Light to darkness. I believe all of this is happening in between seals 6 and 7. I believe because at the end of chapter 11 the seventh trumpet is blown. This is all happening between, six, or between trumpet number 6 and 7. And in chapter 6 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 of the Revelation and even in chapter 10 no one has repented and yet in chapter 11 people repent. Why? Because the bride of Christ sacrificially loves where it is around the world. They speak the truth of Christ to the world and are oftentimes punished by death for that. And yet some repent. And this is what's so. Amazing about the revelation, in addition to its evocativeness, in addition to its imagery, in addition to the fact that it is uninterested in time and space the way we think about it, in addition to how amazing the images are of the beasts, it's actually the most hopeful book in the New Testament. Because it says that you and I, when we sacrificially love, when we learn to speak the words of Christ prophetically, like one of the witnesses, and the law of Christ, which is the guide to the with God life, and people learn that, it, that there is a life of life available to them through faith in Jesus, then many will come to repent. The scope of those who turn to Jesus in the revelation is by far larger than any other book in the New Testament. And so even as it, the vision that Jesus gave to John in chapter 11 is a dark one, there is hope in it, that the church would be pure. Speak well and truly about Christ. Guide people into the hope of a gospel life. I have mentioned before in other sermon series, I think the most humbling part of the gospel of Jesus is exemplified in Acts chapter 1, when the risen Christ is with his disciples and they say are you going to now restore the kingdom and Jesus says no I'm going to go you take care of it chapter 11 of the revelation is a parable giving us an image of us custodianing that was not the right word for that moment of us being the church in between the time that Jesus has come and before he returns to set all things to rights. It is such a hopeful text. The Turkish Christians who were listening to this would have immediately seen the way the power was being contrasted with the power of Rome and we have to do a little bit more work than they do because look at our wonderful space to worship in. We have to do a little bit more work because political powers, are, there are a lot more of them than there were at the time. The Roman Empire was over so much of this. And yet, those things are affected by the beasts of economic and political power in conjunction with Satan. And yet, the church is to be, the, is to be a light because of the light of Christ Christ. And her work is powerful and lasting in ways that the most powerful governments in the history of the world will not have power because they cannot seal anyone for God eternally. Yet yeah, Jesus can, and he does. Through us, through our imperfect Christian lives and our places of business, through our imperfect Christian lives and the families that we find ourselves in, and through our imperfect Christian lives in our neighborhoods. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you give us the assurance of your love that comes with being your follower? Trusting you and through receiving your pursuing love. Would you help us to see all the hope of us receiving the gospel the way that John did in chapter 10 and sacrificially loving and speaking of your truth in the places we find ourselves in chapter 11? Lord, would you renew us for your service? Would you grant us peace in our hearts as we see the wreckage all around us of sin and death? If you are not going to return right this moment, Lord, strengthen us to be your church. Purify us, heal us, and enable us to move back to the places you've placed us as your agents of love and peace, reconciliation, and justice. Amen.